Welcome to the More Attention, Less Deficit podcast. This episode is Brain Scans, Not Enough Science, Too Much Fiction. Although a small number of clinicians use brain scans to diagnose ADHD, there just isn't enough research available on this technique for it to be considered reliable. So save your money. The book, More Attention, Less Deficit, Success Strategies for Adults with ADHD, is available at addwarehouse.com and pretty much everywhere else, including on the Kindle. But if you enter coupon code 19380, my zip code, at addwarehouse.com, you'll save 25%. I'm psychologist Dr. Ari Tuckman, author of More Attention, Less Deficit, and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD, a practical, easy-to-use guide for clinicians. For more information about either book, archives of this podcast, links to past presentations, handouts, and information about upcoming teleclasses and presentations, check out adultadhdbook.com. I often get questions about brain scans from audience members and clients, so I figured it would make a you know, good topic for a podcast. I will also freely admit that this is a topic that I get kind of fired up about. So, um, you know, of course, since the subtitle of this podcast is Not Enough Science, Too Much Fiction, you can probably guess how I feel about them. So I'm not writing a mystery novel here, or at least I'm not writing a good one. Anyway, there's been some interesting work done on the use of brain scans to better understand the role of various brain areas in different conditions, including ADHD. Various scans are available, although the best known is probably something called SPECT scans, or Single Photon Emission Computerized Tomography. SPECT works by measuring where injected radioactive glucose is metabolized in the brain. So areas of brain of the brain that are more active metabolize more glucose and thereby show up brighter on the SPECT scan since more of the radioactive glucose shows up there. Functional magnet magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, is a newer technology that also measures brain activity, although in kind of a different way. But regardless of which method is used, the clinician matches up the subject's brain activity pattern to those of groups of people who've been diagnosed with various conditions. So the clinician makes a diagnosis based on which group an individual seems to most closely resemble. Research has found that there are indeed differences between groups of people with various psychiatric diagnoses on these brain scans. Unfortunately, the fact that researchers can find differences between groups does not mean that we can use these techniques to diagnose individuals. Put simply, these brain scans are too often wrong when, they tr when you try to diagnose an individual. Yes, they are absolutely super cool and totally sci-fi and awesome in, in all those kind of techy, geeky sort of ways, but that doesn't make them accurate. Now, accurate is also known as helpful. There are simply too many errors where a person's brain scan says one thing, but her behavior and symptoms say another. Now, it may be interesting to know how your brain looks, but your symptoms and functioning in your life are the things that really matter. The problem is that what works for groups doesn't necessarily translate reliably to a specific individual. 
Now, while it's useful for researchers to know that folks with ADHD tend to have, you know, more or less activity in certain brain areas compared to folks without ADHD, that doesn't mean that we can automatically use a brain scan to decide whether this one person has ADHD. Of course, as a clinician, I work with one person at a time. I don't work with 20 people with ADHD compared to 20 people without ADHD. I see one person at a time, so it's one person that I care about. Now, an analogy here is that we can definitely prove that men tend to be taller than women. This is a very strong statistical finding. Unfortunately, some men are shorter than some women. So there's a Although there's a very clear difference in the group averages, we can't necessarily predict a single person's gender based on their height. And frankly, most people would probably get pretty huffy if you got their gender wrong based on how tall they are. It's the same problem with brain scans. The results aren't as cut and dried as you might think. Now, nonetheless, there are some people who think that brain scans must be, you know, inherently more accurate because they seem more scientific and objective rather than just some, you know, shrink's opinion. They like the fact that brain scans produce complicated looking pictures of their brains. And, you know, I mean, this kind of makes sense, except that in this case, it isn't really true. So even if the pictures are pretty clear, it still takes someone's opinion to interpret what those pictures mean. So it's still subjective. And as we've discussed, the objective aspects of brain scans aren't as reliable as we might hope them to be. So fuzzy and subjective as it may seem, still the best tool for diagnosing ADHD is a thorough diagnostic interview performed by a skilled clinician who really knows what to look for. Now in my practice, I do a two hour interview reviewing how the person is doing now in their life as well as how they did in other times in their life. I also look for other explanations for the person's difficulties since, you know, other things can kind of look like ADHD, at least if you don't look that hard or that long. It's also worth noting that most brain scans will cost you a couple grand and that you probably won't get much or anything back from insurance, at least not for a diagnosis of ADHD. Now, if you get into a car accident and whack your head, maybe you'll get more back, but insurance companies don't think that this is valid for ADHD. Not that, you know, I'm going to put a lot of stock in what insurance companies think. But regardless, a couple grand is a lot more than what most psychologists or psychiatrists will charge you for a thorough interview. So it's a lot more expensive. So in other words, there are two problems then with brain scans. The first is that they don't tell you much more than a really good interview does. And sometimes they even contradict what the interview tells you. The other problem is that they're really expensive. So in other words, you're spending a lot of money and getting very little for it. So you're kind of losing on both sides of the equation there. If it really was helpful, then you know maybe spending a couple thousand bucks would actually be worth it. The trouble is you're spending a couple thousand bucks and not really getting anything back for it. Now, I assume that the folks who are out there in the community doing these brain scans believe that they're indeed providing a valuable service. In other words, they're not sociopaths or con men. But I just don't agree with them. And unfortunately for them, that's the official position of lots of the other big names in the ADHD world. 
personally, I, I actually get kind of angry about people getting ripped off with these things. You know, even if it's done with good intentions, it's still a waste of a couple thousand bucks that could probably be spent a whole lot more productively. Now, if you've got the money to burn and, you know, want to see what your brain looks like, then, you know, hell, knock yourself out. But don't put too much credence in what the results tell you. I actually think that the folks who use these scans should instead market it as vanity art. So, you know, they take a scan of your brain, they print out this cool multicolor poster, and, you know, they, you get a choice of a few different frames. And, you know, you hang it up in your living room and people come over and they say, wow, that's lovely. And now what are we having for dinner? So, you know, there are totally some people out there who would go for that. So, um, you know, for the entrepreneurs in the crowd, there's an idea for you. Now, if you live in the Cleveland or Pittsburgh areas, I'll be doing a full-day continuing education seminar on the diagnosis and treatment of adult ADHD on March 25th and 26th, as well as a presentation and fundraiser at each of the local CHAD chapters the night before. I mean, that should definitely be a lot of fun. So if you're in the area, you can get more information on the new presentations page at adultadhdbook.com. Our next episode will be ADHD is bigger than good intentions. People with ADHD usually have good intentions, but have trouble reliably turning those desires into action. There are important neurological reasons for this, so it's important to use the right strategies when trying to close the gap. Until next time, thanks for lending me your attention.